0: Hey, welcome to the CEO Anonymous podcast with Purdeep Sangha, a captivating platform designed for CEOs, business owners, and entrepreneurs like you. Our goal is to provide insightful answers to your burning business or personal performance questions. So join our panel of experts as they share their powerful wisdom and expertise. We greatly appreciate your participation. And to submit your questions, simply go to AskPurdeep.com. Now let's get to the show and delve into the heart of today's question. Welcome back to the Business Brothers Podcast. My name is Purdeep Sangha.
1: And I'm Harjeet Sangha.
0: And we are the business brothers. Business brothers. I don't think we're ever going to get that right. <laughs> I think we're going to confuse the heck out of the audience. They're probably frustrated with us already, Harge, because we're we're off sync. But you know what? We're we're not twins. We're brothers, so we're not always in in
1: tune, one hundred percent. Yeah, it just goes to show you. Evidently, it's unscripted. So what we <laughs> have here is a free conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know
0: it's a really good point, Harge, because. We had a conversation about this earlier in terms of being a little bit more intentional about our podcast episodes. But, you know, the one thing that I think hopefully our audience can enjoy is that this is real, right? This is who we are. We're two brothers that have a certain amount of expertise and experience and come across certain things in life that we share. And uh, being open and being off script and, and being real, I think, is important for the audience to hear because there's so many of those podcasts out there. that are boring, so factual, uh, and I'm hoping that's not our podcast. Well,
1: I mean, some people might find you born, but uh, that can be concluded <laughs> <laughs> <to> later. <date.
0: laughs> yeah, that, that's a little brother shot for you, right? You gotta have those on air. So yeah, let's, shot let's, fired. Yeah, let's uh, let's continue the conversation because we were talking about buying a business in the last episode. We talked about um, you know why would you consider buying a business? You know, what are some of the advantages and some of the disadvantages of of expanding through non-organic growth through acquisitions. And today we're going to be talking about, well, what are some of the things that you should be looking for if you're buying a business? And this is really important. It's just like when you buy a house, there's certain things, certain features, certain things that you might have in mind that are important to you and your family. But then there's some hidden things some value in the business that you should or in the in the real estate that maybe you should be looking out for as well because at some point in time you may want to sell the house or resell the house and you always need to be aware of that and I think hard you pointed out in one of the previous episodes is you know have a a value in mind at the point where you where you're thinking about selling your business and I think one of the premises for all business owners is to grow your business with the intent that it should be sellable at any point in time, because you don't want to be caught with your pants down, whether it's a down economy that we saw happen in COVID, or there's just a point in time where you get tired of it and you say, I want to I want to move on. So building your business is important, keeping the sale in mind. And I, I know I just got a off a little off tangent, but these are some of the things to keep into consideration when you're buying a business is also buy a business that you think you can sell at some point in time as well, because you may have to. So that's one of the things I wanted to throw out there, Harj, is is, you want to buy something that you can sell at some point.
1: Yeah, I think as as business owners, when... You know, you're operating your family business or your own private business, you kind of think of it as your baby and and maybe may not come top of mind that you're ever looking to sell it and that you want to pass it on. But as you evidently passed a comment on is that, you know, there's some sometimes unforeseen circumstances that force you to sell. So when you're looking at that, I think it's always great to, you know be ready for if there is a transition in place but also the transition can be on the opposite spectrum as well as when you're looking to acquire something so it's always good to have that knowledge on hand and we'll get into detail what uh, types of items and and kind of information you should be looking for
0: yeah and i think the the one of the things that is always uh, is something to look out for is strategic value and what does strategic value mean because it, it sounds great Right? It's kind of an academic term, but in all honesty, what it means is it just adds value to your business long term. Right, It's something that you could take advantage of that improves your business, gives you a competitive advantage. What, that could be something that reduces your costs. So if you pick up a manufacturing plant that has better efficiencies and you can transfer some of the, the operations over there and cut costs a little bit, or maybe you pick up on some piece of technology that adds strategic value to your, to your business. It's really adding some kind of value that gives you a better edge that progresses your business
1: and gives you a competitive advantage. Yeah. And well put. I mean, I think of most acquisitions or mergers, it's it's with that principle in mind, right? That you're buying something that's going to be accretive to the overall earnings of the existing operation. You know, there are certain circumstances where you might see a business purchased. You know, we do see it for for purpose of tax reasons. If there's a if there's a business that's losing, and the acquirer can use those tax offsets to reduce some of their own uh, taxes payable, you might see the acquisition. Obviously, there's there's attribution rules for that with uh, CRA, but most of the time when you're seeing the, the purchase of a business—it's for the, the you know the, the fundamental reason that you do see synergistic value with this addition.
0: You know the interesting thing with that, and and we haven't done internally the research on this, but we're basing on the research that has have been done by the other organizations. We're talking about bigger organizations like Stanford, Harvard. Um, business schools, academic institutions, where they have identified that anywhere from two-thirds to 80% of the strategic value that is originally thought to be had in an acquisition never gets established or never gets to be put into place. So what does that mean? That means a lot of the reasons why people think they're buying a business and adding value to their business doesn't actually happen. It Basically, they overpay for the business. They're overpaying for the value. That's the reality of it. So it's important to keep
1: that in mind. Yeah. I think to, to kind of expand on that, pretty. I mean, what I'm hearing there is that there's not enough due diligence in the process, right? So mm-hmm. yes, you may have an acquisition uh, or sorry, a target that you want to acquire, but that's where you kind of have to work behind the scenes with your prof- professionals and your advisors are looking at, you know, what, what should we be rationally paying for this business? And is it going to be immediately uh, accretive or dilutive to, to our earnings? I mean, it's okay if it's immediately dilutive, but at some point, you need to recoup your costs. And when I hear of that kind of low success rate, I mean, my first thought that percolates to mind is that there wasn't enough due diligence. And certainly in an environment that we're in today, we're seeing you know record number of m and deals and IPOs. What I'm hearing is that there's a lot of capital going out there, but that should not negate anybody from doing their due diligence. I mean, there's no point in throwing good money at bad deals. Yeah, a really
0: good point because due diligence is is interesting. And we touched on this in the last episode where we talked about advisors who are brought in to do the due diligence or negotiations or bring the deal together. Well, they have every incentive for the deal to go through regardless because they're getting paid typically foul, a, sal- or a fee based plus certain percentage. So if the deal falls through, they're not making the money, the big bucks that they are. So when it comes to due diligence, I think it's important to have the right people that aren't afraid to step up and say, you know, this part of the business isn't really doing what it needs to do. And that's, that's where, you know, we're not afraid to do that ourselves because at the end of the day, if you make money on a deal that shouldn't have gone through, which trust me, it happens a lot, right? A lot of these people <laughs> are making money off deals that shouldn't have gone through. Um, I know I couldn't sleep at night through that but the due diligence process as you mentioned Harj, brings up one important point which is something that people should be looking for is unseen opportunities as well because as you're doing the due diligence process you might find something a golden gem or nugget in the business that you're like wow I can't believe that this wasn't leveraged more um, or it was completely overlooked and I think sometimes what we what we think is if we're buying a business from someone, we think that that person knows their business inside out. We think that that person has leveraged their business the best way that they can. That's not always the case. There's a lot of people, a lot of, and I'm going to say executive teams out there that don't know how to run a business effectively. Could they do a better job? Absolutely. Not that they're running it into the ground, but they're overlooking things. And this is where when you have the right people on your side, you can find these unseen opportunities.
1: Yeah, and it can be just as very subtle as just not having enough working capital in the business and you're you know, consistently going into draw out debt to, to make regular payments. I mean, there's, there are individuals out there that know their craft very well. And they're specialists in their field, but they may not know the business operational side very well. And that could kind of distort the, you know, all the ratios that we would look at and doing the due diligence. You know, what is the operating margins? What's the efficiency? What is the culture? Are the employees happy? So, I mean, you can be great at your craft, but you have to be able to bring in all those other intangibles together as well.
0: Yeah. And sometimes when you're in the business so heavily, you it's natural to overlook things, right? We do that as human beings. We get conditioned to. The things that are around us. And I'll just use an example. Right now, I'm I'm doing renovations in the house, and there's all these cracks, for example, in the house that I completely may have overlooked, right? And I'm like, hmm, I didn't see that there before. Where did that come from? It's just because you're conditioned to, you know, it's just a part of our natural thing to be conditioned to things that don't really stand out to us. So due diligence is important. I think the other thing, harj is Expanding into new markets. Because you know what they say about business, if you're not growing, you're dying. Or standing still is the new going backwards, right? <laughs> Actually, it's true. I, I think that's absolutely true. If you're not expanding in your business and you're not expanding into new markets, I think your business is going to be hit hard. We're, we've seen that the change in terms of Fortune 500 companies or even Fortune 100 companies, what took them three decades to eventually go out of business are going out of business in less than a decade now.
1: Yeah, I mean, technology has forced us to change uh, so much faster than what we've we've been used to. I think uh, the stat I read, what used to be a seven-year kind of... um, change or adoption of change with technologies now have now it's three and a half years where we see something come new to market. And within three and a half years, you're seeing basically the, the economy picking it up and using it in their day-to-day life, which is, you know, that's, that's quite rapid.
0: Mm, interesting. And um, I'm, I'm going to pick your brain on this, harj because one of the other things that pops up and it's kind of like the unseen opportunities, but it's unrealized assets. Sometimes there's businesses that have assets sitting there that they haven't used, whether it's properties, machinery, whatever it might be, but they're not capitalizing on it as much as they should. Have you seen that happen?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think in the valuation space, you know, one thing that we often look at is redundant assets, which you know most commonly comes in the form of you know excess cash or, or property. Um, where the business has settled on and, and conduct its operations. But within that, I mean, you want to use every square foot. I mean, sometimes businesses are so flush with with earnings that they don't really care. But in the instance of, you know, unforeseen opportunity is, you know, we live in a world where there's such high valuations for real estate. So there could be ways to look at, you know, any portion of that real estate is can it be used more efficiently? You know, are we using every square foot? And if not, um, you know can we lease it out or can we rent it out? So there's certainly some potential there that I think sometimes users fail to to recognize.
0: Yeah, and I think you touched on something too, cash too. Because there's people buy businesses sometimes because they're flush with cash. Um, And they have a lot of cash sitting there because their business technically doesn't. And they're able to use that cash and leverage it and do other things. And coming from the world of banking, both Harj and I spent um, over a decade in, in the banking sector, you can say, or industry. And cash management is a big thing for businesses. And a lot of businesses let cash sit there and do nothing with it. But if you can take that cash and invest it in some way, shape, or form, that just gives you even a a tiny bit of interest or um, a higher level of profit, that is a lot in the long term. And we're seeing a lot of more businesses being aware of that. There are specific divisions within banks if you haven't Talk to a cash management person within your bank, you should find one because they can help you use and leverage that cash that's sitting in your bank account, collecting you know very little interest right now.
1: Yeah, it's a very valid point. I mean, when you look at cash you know, as an um, item on the balance sheet, I mean, you need enough to suffice your, your day-to-day work and operations, but too much cash doesn't look good either. I mean, it could be a signal that the business is not looking to expand. Right. So, or it may not see opportunities to expand. So, from the kind of the the training that I've done as a CFA is that you want to see good earnings, but if if there's a lot of balance sheet cash in there, that's not really providing any level of leverage for the company or it's not earning any interest. I mean, I'd be a little bit hesitant to kind of see what the direction of the company is, if it if it's just status quo and maintaining it, or if there's or if they're actively looking to make some acquisitions. So it's a it's a great point. I mean cash these days after inflation is negative. So you definitely do want to look for opportunities to, to stay ahead of the curve.
0: Yeah. And, and that kind of leads me to one of the things that um, is really interesting because there should be a certain level of R&D that happens within every organization. Um, and now it not, might not be when people think of research and development R&D, they think of technology. It doesn't always have to be technology. It could be just improving their internal processes. It could be you know a better way of training their employees All of these things can be considered research and development in the R&D space. And if you're not seeing that in the business, well, that's a sign. Maybe the business isn't progressing, but that can also be an opportunity. Because what if you did take a business that was somewhat stagnant and invest a little bit into the R&D? Where could that business go? I think there's huge opportunity there. And we see a lot of the bigger organizations do this is they take an organization that is flat and then they'll put some... They have a good foundation that puts some R&D into it. And then all of a sudden, this business is a gem.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's certainly something to be said about having the eye to be able to look at that synergistic benefit. And that really is part of the due diligence process is what can you save through the adoption of technology? I mean, unfortunately, that what can come as a result of that too is as we're seeing more artificial intelligence and technology technology adoption, is that that may lessen the need to have humans <laughs> inside the business as well. So, I mean, we always want to keep as many people as gamefully employed as possible, um, but the natural conversation does, does gravitate towards that. as we do see some efficiencies, there is this natural pressure of, of scaling back on the cost of capital. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we, we've we seen that uh, with some major acquirers there. So that's another item that you do want to take into account. Um, certainly when you're doing your due to, Due diligence processes hey that is a that is a cost item when you when you do merge or do an acquisition um, you may see a synergy on some of the benefits of combining the two entities but there could be some severance costs costs of letting people go that you, you need to make sure that you account for
0: yeah and that happens when for example when private equity companies for example take over an organization or before someone comes or someone is wanting to sell their business one of the common strategies is to shave as much staff as they can to bring their costs down and make it look better and uh, when it comes to people that's another thing to look out for as well the talent that the other organization has that you're looking to buy because there could be hidden talent there as well there's um. There's a lot of this type of stuff happening in the technology sector because there's certain people that have very specific industry knowledge and it's not well-known and people will pay a lot of money for that. People will buy businesses just because of the people, because of their knowledge that they have, the experience that they have. Uh, Here's here's just a simple example. We had a a new shower put in that is a man-made stone shower and the gentleman that came in to install it has been doing it for 35 plus years, harj. And he brought his son with him. And he basically said, you know, my body's not going to take this anymore. He's like, I think I'm going to be done in five years. I said, well, is your son taking over? And he said, no, my son doesn't want to do this. He wants to do something else. But he's like, I do know something for sure. He's like, there's virtually no one is that is learning this craft right now. Because it's a specific type of stone, or um, and the way you have to set it, and the way you have to do things, and cut it. There's no one else that's learning this, so there's going to be a huge shortage of people. And so this guy is literally working uh, like morning to night, and he's getting paid big bucks to do this because there's no one else that no one else coming in the industry that has his expertise. So if we think this is a one-off, it's not. This happens a lot. There's people that have knowledge and skills that are so valuable and that aren't well-known and wide-known. And other people, there's no training
1: for it. Yeah. And and pretty... Expand on that comment too. I mean, kudos to him for for having that skill set and being so specialized. I mean, kind of going back to the due diligence process is if you were to acquire his company, how much of his knowledge can be transferred over to the next? Right. So you have to be able to sign that. I mean that can that can be a big risk when you're looking at it in terms of your key employees. In fact, that's one of the things that we look at is who are who are key executives or professionals or employees of the firm that if let go or if they decide to walk out or go to a competitor what is that risk in perspective to the organization and for someone like that i mean you, you want to make sure that skill set is transferable
0: yeah because there's no way it, it doesn't seem like his son in this example is is wanting to take over the business he can make a lot of money but he just has no desire so you literally whoever is thinking about buying the business if this person is going to sell i have a feeling that he's just going to Retire. Like, I don't think he's going to be able to train anybody because he's just so busy doing it that he doesn't have time to do the training and that his body's just going to give up. And he said, I'm done with it. So I don't think he's even going to sell the business. So that business is just going to dissolve. Uh, and that's an interesting one, Harj. I think maybe we should do some case studies around that. Businesses that could be taken over that are just dissolved because there wasn't the right strategy put in place before they sold it. Um, or people just didn't have it on their radar to buy these businesses. Because um, I, I think that happens quite a bit, especially when it comes to trades and professional services.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any studies on that, but, you know, kind of early assumptions would be, you probably see that more in certain industries where, you know, I mean, it's a professional work in their whole life and they may not have an adequate transition plan and they just, you know, let the business go and they probably still have, you know, inactive operations with cash inside of it for investing or whatnot but for the most part i mean it's just unsuccessfully transferred over to to a successor
0: Mm -hmm. and and so on that note one of the other things to take a look at is competitive positioning or competitive advantage if you're when you're looking to buy a business because you may buy a business just to put them out of business Yeah. And this doesn't really happen in the lower tier um, markets, but it does happen in the bigger tier markets where bigger companies will just come in, they'll buy you out and they'll shut down your plants because they don't want you as competition. We saw that with Western Star, right, Harge? Yeah. Uh, They came in and just basically said, we're going to move some of you guys down south and then everything else is just shut down because we don't want you to be our competitor in the space.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think in part of that process, it it really comes into, you know, whatever their strategy is based on in terms of either broadening their diversification of product or services, or just simply eliminating a competitor. There is tangible value to that for sure. And it's, it's a process, you go through it. But, um, you know, with certain clauses or whatnot, with non-compete clauses, I mean, it, it is certainly possible that companies do have that as one of the primary reasons why they make an acquisition.
0: Mm-hmm. And so let's, you know, let's not beat around the bush. One of the biggest challenges in business is competition. If you had no competition whatsoever, you could charge what you wanted. You could make as much, you wouldn't have to worry, but it's competition that really causes challenges. And there may be times where you want to buy a business and you're thinking about it, but you're like, yeah, eh, now there's no point. It might be it might be, I was going to say intelligent to to see if your competition is going to buy that business instead, because if you're not, if you're looking at it, chances are your competitors are looking at it. And if you don't buy it, your competitors could buy it. And then what position does that put you in? And that can be a challenging position. And it's one of those, oh, I wish I would have situations, right? Uh, I wish I would have done that uh, when someone else comes in and pulls that smart move. So sometimes... You just got to pull the trigger on that. But again, due diligence is most important. And I think cards, the biggest thing that comes to mind out of this entire conversation when it comes to what to look for is not necessarily just what to look for, but the
1: process you follow, which is really around due diligence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there's about ten to twelve major steps when you're looking at making an acquisition. I think we kind of highlighted um, from last episode, you know, some of the reasons why you might want to look at making an acquisition. But kind of after you've made the decision that you want to, you know, increase your footprint in the space and broaden your product or your services, I mean, there's a series of steps that you want to take, and you have to be able to look at your cash flow, you know, with your with your advisors and your deal team to look at and say, okay, if we were to make this happen, how do we finance it? Because the numbers have to make sense. I mean, you know, going back to your earlier stat of how many uh, unsuccessful mergers and acquisitions occur out there in the space, I mean, you don't want to be part of that stat. So you need to go through and look at the due diligence and look at it in terms of, hey, can, is this a is this a cash acquisition? I mean, most private enterprise deals are cash um, cash acquisitions or some form of, of tape act- or contingency plan, unlike the public stock market where they can issue stock. But those are all the things that you would model and go through and look at what the variables are. And it kind of gives you kind of a scorecard of what, how high you can go, right? Obviously, you want to get your best negotiator in there and and get the best price in, but also... Like you said there might be other competitors in the mix part of the conversation so you don't you don't want to lose the deal completely but you don't want to overpay for the business where you're stretched and it actually puts in uh you know it puts your business in jeopardy i mean kind of coming into a, a failed statistic there so that there's a lot of variables in between but you want to look at cash flow you want to look at you know what is their product diversification what is the level of synergy that you can get uh between the acquisition and the merger and that, that might not be uh, you might not be able to see that right off the bat. That may be something where you need to put in new management or new employees and, and work on. But that's something that you should go to good gauge on and part of the due diligence process. I mean, there's there's other costs. I think we we do fail to look at what it costs to merge i mean sometimes we always think that uh, that number is lower but you know there can be some unforeseen circumstances where you know there might be uh, layoffs or you know some severances that that be paid out so all these go into the process but of course your modeling needs to account for that you need to give some level of cushion uh for variance in, in that acquisition
0: yeah uh, great points Sir are so one of the things that pops up is uh, as you were saying that you don't want to be a stat, I was laughing because chances are there's an eighty percent chance that you're going to be one of those people that you know that the acquisition doesn't go as planned. But and I'm not a huge, I'm not going to say um, I don't promote advisory services very much, but this is one area that I would say is absolutely necessary. If you're buying a company, you should definitely look for. The right advisors, because if you're trying to do it on on your own, this isn't the place to do it, right? And like I like I say, I'll do I'll do drywall, I'll do framing, I'll do stuff like that, but I won't fiddle around with plumbing, because plumbing is one thing. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong, right? You could flood your basement, you could flood your place up real fast. So this is where I bring in the experts. Bring in the experts if you're thinking about buying a business, because that will save you the potential money that you could lose if things don't go right. And Harj, I think there's another point that you made is, okay, how do you actually finance this? And I think we should save this for the next episode is, how do you actually get the capital to buy a business? Because what I see often is that some people are fearful of expanding or growth through acquisition because they don't feel like they could fund it. They don't have the capital. They're just afraid to put themselves out there from a capital perspective, and I think Harge, with your background and ex- our experience, we can give them some pretty creative ways of or some things to think about when it comes to financing
1: a business. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, culturally, um, you know, we were raised that, you know, debt's a bad thing. If you don't have cash to pay for something or to acquire something, you know, don't go use debt. And I think when it comes to businesses, you know, debt should not be viewed as that kind of dirty cousin in the room. It, it surely certainly be used with prudence and stewardship, um, but debt to acquire growth, if it's synergistic, um, can provide, you know, better outcomes going forward. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I absolutely agree with you. I think there are some, you know, more old school business owners that look at that as just such a negative thing to have on the balance sheet i don't think that's necessarily the case and i think it actually be surprising when business owners go through you know the the due diligence process with their banker with their advisor i think a lot of them would be quite surprised with you know some of the potential outcomes that uh, that they can find out there and the terms of the payment as well. I mean, there's a lot of flexible options out there. It doesn't always have to be you know, bank financed. Um, it could be through contingent plans, but I don't want to spoil the next episode. Let's, let's save that for, for another day.
0: Yeah, sounds good to me. I'm excited about it. So uh, for those of you out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time. See you guys next time. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you got value from the show, we have one simple ask please go to your favorite podcast platform and hit subscribe. We'll see you next time.